were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thanks, Steve. been interesting this week as the census data has been released. Anybody followed uh, some of the interesting statistics that have been coming out? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I've, uh, I've got a few, uh, not, not too much, but I've got a few things uh, from the census. Um, it appears that um, our country is changing. And there's nothing, no new news in that. I guess we just have uh, hard facts to sort of back it up. The percentage of population identifying as Christian continues to decline, while those with no faith or from other faiths continues to grow. 
particularly among the under 35s. So especially young people, there's a real either embracing of uh, atheism or agnosticism or other faiths, non-Christian faiths. The median age is rising. It's estimated that by 2030, nearly a quarter of our population, sorry, not, not quite a quarter, just over 20%, will be 65 plus. Well, that would be me in that category in 2030. So the median age is rising. Number of people living alone is rising, as is the number of empty houses, empty dwellings, empty units. The number of same-sex couple households has skyrocketed 230% since the 2011 census. That's amazing. The size of Aussie-born families is shrinking, while the size of migrant families is growing. As Bob Dylan's famous song says, the times they are changing. And it is really happening to me, one of the saddest trends is the steady rise in the number of couples choosing not to have children. It appears that increasingly children are viewed as a costly hindrance to the lifestyle that we crave. And so the, the, the number of children per household is reducing and the number of couples choosing not to have children is increasing. What a contrast to the view of the psalmist. Psalm 127, 3 to 5 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children's born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And what a contrast to Jesus' view of children. We've been presenting this portrait of Jesus that's being built up week by week. Of this, who is this son of God that Mark speaks about? So over this last month, we've gained different perspectives, different views. Today, we're going to see how central is Jesus' teaching on children and how frequent it is in this chapter 10 and previously in chapter 9. As Jesus and his disciples leave Capernaum, look at uh, chapter 9, verse 33. We're told that when he, he was leaving Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? And they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. <laughs> you would be quiet about that, wouldn't you, <laughs> You'd be a bit loath to let on. You might dob in, John, John, he was claiming that he's you know, better than me and all the rest of us. So they're quiet. Jesus knew what was going on. What was his response? Sitting down, he called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he had placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Place of children. 
Look at verse 42 of chapter 9. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And in chapter 10, we've got again verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus. Maybe they'd listened to what he was saying when he took the little children. He said, let the little children come to me, unless you become like little children. So they thought, well, we'll bring the children to Jesus. And so parents are probably bringing their children to Jesus to have him lay his hands on them and bless them. When Jesus saw this, that his disciples were rebuking the parents. They were kind of saying, don't trouble the master. Don't, you know, he's a busy man. Don't, uh, don't we know, they're only little tackers. Um, just, just leave him alone. He's got important business to do. And Jesus is indignant at that kind of thinking. Utterly indignant. And he says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So clearly, childlike faith is crucial in God's economy. So much so that Jesus goes out of his way in the space of just a chapter and a half to emphasise on about three or four different occasions the importance of being like little children. He doesn't say become childish. He says become childlike. There's a difference between being childish, which is just being immature and and utterly self-centred, if you like, and childlike. And we're going to explore that because there's an amazing contrast here. Mark has purposely arranged the material and he's got this episode with the little children immediately followed by the rich young ruler who goes away sad and he's he's got many possessions. There's an utter contrast here and it's purposely that way contrasting what it is to have a childlike faith as opposed to where you see yourself as sufficient and able to provide for yourself. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life, says the rich young ruler. But first of all, let's just look and see what it says about childlikeness. What can we learn from children about childlikeness. I think there's three principal things. There's a a number of things, but three key characteristics. One, little children expect things. They expect things. Children have few possessions, but they're carefree because they expect someone else will provide for them. They're going to have a bed. They're going to have breakfast and lunch and dinner. They're going to have... Food, clothing, shelter, they're going to have toys, Christmas, birthdays. Children expect that their parents will do things for them. And there's, there's an implied good thing about that in being childlike with our Heavenly Father, that we should expect things from God. He, he who 
is forgiven much, loves much, and similarly, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. There's a sense in which our Heavenly Father is honoured when we look to him. We ask him and say, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's, there's an expectancy in faith that is good and children typify it in a beautiful way when they just know that that mum will be around the corner mum will be looking out mum sees what's going on or they just know that when dad comes home they'll be able to have a wrestle or they they just know and they also know if they do wrong things and there's a sense of running and hiding as well they expect good weather when they want it you know, they, you know, for their soccer match or whatever. So there's an expectancy. There's, I think, secondly, there's an acceptance of things. Little children accept things almost unquestioningly. Sometimes I ask, but why? As I get older, that's, that really comes into it. But there's still an attitude of just taking things for granted in a way. Children can enjoy things without understanding them or even needing to understand them. They don't know how cars work, but they know it'll get them off to school or to wherever. They don't know about bank accounts. They just know that there's enough money and I get my food and things are supplied. They... They, know, they don't really understand about the whole process of food and where meat comes from. You just think, well, you go to the shops or the butcher and you buy the food. And they don't tend to ask too many other questions. We have to go out of our way to teach them that. We have our Hagley Farm schools and that sort of thing that teach them more about where these things truly come from. They don't really know how an iPhone works, but they sure know how to use it. They just... You know, I'm amazed at some of our grandchildren. They are not even two and they're just able to flick the screen. They watch mum and dad and they're able to see what goes on. It's just astonishing. But they would have no idea about chips and radio waves and you name it. They, they, would, they would probably have as little understanding of how an iPhone works as what I would. It's truly, as the great Augustine said centuries and centuries ago, he said, faith, true faith, seeks understanding. Faith seeking understanding is what God is honoured by. When we, we believe because God says something, we may not fully understand it, but our trust in our Heavenly Father is such that despite some loose ends, despite some question marks, despite some things not entirely fitting together in ways that make a great deal of sense to us at times, we trust that he knows and that he has our good interests at heart, that he cares for us. And that can be a challenge when you're going through a difficult time. That can be a real challenge to believe that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. We, we don't understand necessarily, but God is honoured when we accept that, that his character is noble and good and faithful 
He is honoured when we trust him as good. You are good and you do good to your, your people. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We may not know how that'll work out in our own circumstance, but we trust that he who promised is faithful and will do that. So that aspect of childlikeness is good. It illustrates what real faith is. We expect things, we accept things because of who it's come from. Just like a child accepts things, generally speaking, if their parents say it. And similarly, the third thing is they enjoy things. I, I am just amazed. Children take unbounded delight in the simplest of things. Our little grandsons are fascinated by spinning tops. So they'll spin anything. And, and they're fascinated by puppies. They're also a bit scared of them too. And leaves. Why would you collect a leaf and put it in your pocket? But they, they do. What is so interesting about my eyebrows that when they're sitting on my, my lap, they start twirling my eyebrows or picking in my ears. I, I don't know. I don't understand it. Or my hair. They run their fingers through my hair. Why, why would you be interested in these things? But they are. They just seem to enjoy life. They just do it. Life is an adventure to be enjoyed. They don't think of falling over and skinning their knees as they run down the, the driveway. That's what mums are for. They worry about those things. You know, I don't have to worry about those things. If I fall over, well, I'll get picked up. I'll be looked after. So they, they, they just get caught up in the moment and enjoy life. They don't think ahead, they don't plan things, that's what adults are for. When you think about it, God, we can honour God when we actually dare to believe that he is planning things for us, that he has purposes that he wants to work out that are for our good and for his glory. So expecting things of God Accepting things from God and enjoying things with God are childlike qualities that God is greatly honoured by. When we see God for who he really is, why would we doubt him? And so Jesus takes these little children and he blesses them. And he says, unless you become like little children you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you take this humble place of recognising you can't supply all your own needs, you can't take all your own provisions in hand, and to enjoy life you, just, you have to be able to trust others. You have to be able to trust that others are on the scout for you, the lookout for you, and will provide for you. And, and you just accept these things because that's what God's like. That's who God is. He's faithful and, and he promises these things and he's true to his word. God is greatly honoured by that. But when we look at, at the rich young ruler, we see the exact opposite of that. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's thinking in terms not of, of expecting anything from God, but something that he would have to do in order to merit something from Jesus. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. In other words, this is, this is a wake-up call to this guy saying, if you call me good and there's none good, no, not one, only the Lord, and you dare to call me good, then, then either you, don't, you haven't thought about what you're saying or you need to recognise who you're talking to. That I'm the only wise God. I'm good and I do good to all. He's making this guy think. He's, he's, he's setting him back on his haunches and giving him something to ponder. And he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony or witness. You shall not defraud or steal. Honour your father and mother. And this guy says, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I, I do those things. So I guess he's thinking, well, you know, I've tried to be respectful of my parents. I haven't gone and killed anyone lately. I, I you know, I've been true to my wife. I, I, you know, I haven't committed adultery. But he has no real appreciation of the true condition of his heart. But he's about to get it. And he gets it in a pretty tough way. Jesus says to him, you lack one thing. And he points him to the tenth commandment. He's, he's quoted the others, honour your father and mother, so fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, he's doing well. And he points him to the tenth commandment, you shall not covet. This is the commandment that got Paul too. The Apostle Paul, he said, I, I did not know sin until your word said, thou shalt not covet. It's the, when we realise covetousness resides in the heart, we begin to see beyond the externals of behaviour to the inner attitudes of what's really going on in our motivations and desires at work within us. That's where Jesus points this guy. So he says, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He realised that he, he, he was confronted by something that he was simply either unable or simply unwilling to do. He was not willing to do it. Now, I've preparing this week has made me think. I think, how would I respond? You might like to think yourself a bit into this guy's shoes too. How would we respond if Jesus said to us, go sell your home, make your children homeless, give everything you've got to the poor and then come follow me? We're planning to renovate our kitchen we're looking at buying appliances and I'm I'm thinking 
Ooh, I can imagine how Robin would respond if I was, you know, you say, well, the Lord has said to me, we need to give this house away and we you know we're not going to have anywhere to sleep but we'll trust that that he'll he'll work it out for us so you can just see the mind ticking over i don't have to be einstein to work out what the uh, outcome of that conversation would look like and i don't have to be einstein really to work out what's going on in my own heart with this but i don't think jesus is actually intending that we all go and give our goods and possessions away. The nearest we've got is Acts chapter 2, where the first Christians, they didn't give everything away. It says if they, they gave to everyone as they had need, they gave out of their abundance. If they had extra homes or fields, etc., they sold them and gave to the, to the needy among them. And it says there were no needy persons among them because of their actions. But it was not forced, it was not commanded, it was because of the change that had taken place in their heart. They'd be, been altogether born again. They'd come into a new place, a living relationship with God through Christ. The Holy Spirit was now dwelling in them. They thought differently. They, their whole approach to life had changed. They were living in an upside-down world compared with what they used to be like. And this is what Jesus is fronting this young guy up to. He's saying, consider what's going on in the depths of your being. And this guy went away sad and Jesus was sad too. Jesus loved him, but he's, he let him go. Now, the disciples really say it all. They were amazed at his words and Jesus said, Children, notice he's using that phrase, children, little ones. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now there's been debate over whether this is a camel trying to squeeze through what they call the needle gate, a little passageway that was uh, through the walls at night when the big gates were closed in Jerusalem or whether it is actually a, a picture of the absurdity of trying to squeeze a camel through an actual eye of a needle. It doesn't really matter. Um, it, either way, a fully laden camel trying to squeeze through the room that only a man could just squeeze through is, is ridiculous. And it's making the clear point, it's impossible. It's just impossible. Only God can change a person's heart to make them want to love him, to honour him, to overcome the, the self-centeredness and the covetousness that sin brings into our lives and make us want to, to expect things from God in a wholesome way not a self-centered way to accept things from God as his good gifts his his treasured gifts and to thank him and to enjoy things from God and with God in company with God that kind of childlike faith requires new birth requires us to be altogether born again look what Jesus said he said they're, you know, they're amazed, the, the disciples, they say, who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, 
but not with God. All things are possible with God. God can change a person's heart and bring them to the place of being willing to surrender all to him. When you think about it, to be born again and come into a relationship with God, we do give up all. We have to give up our very life. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, which is an instrument of death, and, and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And to be willing to die for Christ, who is willing to die for you, requires a miracle. That's not normal human behaviour. It's, it's something that God produces. It's something God brings about. It's an evidence of a new heart and a new spirit within you. He's taken away the heart of stone and he's given you a heart of flesh. He's taken away the old and he's made all things new. He's given you a whole new worldview and perspective because you've come into a relationship with him. You see the enormity of the character of this God and you humble yourself before him like a little child. And he says, welcome my son, welcome my daughter. I love you. I gave my only begotten son for you. If you, if you, if you come to me, I will never turn you away. I will honour you and bless you. So can you see the contrast that's happening here? This guy did not expect eternal life without having to do something in return. All that he really needed to actually do was repent and believe the good news. That's the message Jesus came preaching. He preached the kingdom of God and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. That's all that was required of this guy, really. If he truly repented and he believed the gospel, he trusted in Jesus Christ, he'd be willing to do what Jesus said and believe that the Lord would be able to make it up for him. We see this at the, at the end of the chapter. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age along with persecutions. But in the life to come, eternal life, eternal life. So he didn't expect eternal life without having something to do in return. And all he needed to do was repent and believe. When Jesus told him what he really ought to do, he did not accept it like a little child. So he didn't expect, he didn't accept. When Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me, he did the sums in his head and he soon walked away because entering by the narrow gate was too difficult. He would choose the broad way that would lead to destruction, not the narrow way that would lead to life. There are many who make a choice just like this guy. There are few who find the straight and narrow path. But those who do enter into a whole new world, enter into the kingdom of God. He couldn't enjoy being like a little child when he was so preoccupied with his doings. This is very difficult. In fact, Jesus said it's impossible. 
Jesus does not normally ask us to give everything away to the poor and become poor ourselves. He's getting to the heart of the problem, his covetousness, and he's saying, but even in that, even when, when you come undone and you realise that in you dwells no good thing, then it's my kindness that will lead you to repentance. It's my spirit that will lead you into life. My spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you'll become my child, my son, my daughter. I will welcome you into eternal habitations, into eternal life. The message of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all this rich young ruler had to do was just get on his knees and say, Lord, it's impossible. I, I, I've got a wife, I've got children, I, I don't know how I could do this, but I want to know you. If, if you're telling me to do this, and Lord, help me come to the place where I'll be willing to be willing, where I will look to you, and, and, and I believe that you will give me the grace and just cry out to God. But instead of doing that, he just saw it as an absolute impossibility and turned away. The question this man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, shows that, that it's human nature for us to think we have to do things for God. Are you thinking along those lines too? Do you subtly, deep down, think that by your behaviour and your attitudes and your actions, you'll be earning and meriting favour with God? That God will be more pleased with you and would it be likely to accept you based on your conduct? Or have you come to the place of realising that even your repentance, the tears of your repentance require God's cleansing and forgiveness? We don't even repent perfectly. We, we, we just, sin has so affected us, so broken us, that we don't do any of the Ten Commandments properly. We don't truly set God first above all things. We, we, we don't uh, keep ourselves from idols. Covetousness is at work within us that breaks out and we, we think evil thoughts of other people and then console ourselves with the fact that we didn't act on it. But Jesus said anyone who looks to lust has already committed adultery. Anyone who, who just thinks in his heart, you fool, has already murdered his brother. It's just impossible. It's impossible for us to please God. But God knows that. He's made provision for that in the gift of his son. Jesus knew the only solution to our sinful pride and independence from God is to be born again, to become like little children in our place before God, expecting things from God, trusting God, enjoying God, accepting what he says, not not trying to enter into a debate with him. So that's not childish, that's childlike. 
That's honouring God based on his character and his word. And children do that. When, when they, they're placed in the right environment, they understand the character of a, of a basically good parent who's watching out for them. There's, it breeds a confidence in a child to trust their parents, to enjoy life, to, have, to live within the boundaries in a way that they can laugh and, and have fun and enjoy things. This is faith in action. Faith seeking understanding. This is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If you can identify with that, if you can feel in your heart, then pray that prayer. Cry out to God and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Deal with the residual things in me that are still not right. Have your way, Lord. I look to you. I know that you'll accept me for Jesus' sake, just like David accepted Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake and treated him well all the days of his life. Mephibosheth went along with this. He agreed to it and he sat at the king's table. This is childlike faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that each of us here might come to a a deeper place of understanding of your character, of truly believing in our heart that you're able to do more than we ask or imagine, that you're able to do things that are impossible with man, that you give the miracle of new birth, that if we cry out to you, you are able to make a way where there seems to be no way. Through you, we can run through a troop and leap over a wall, as your word says. But it begins with us saying, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We want to look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the one who commences faith in our hearts and brings it to its maturity and completion. Please help us, Lord. We cry out to you. Help us to know what it is to walk with you with childlike confidence that you will do what you do best, that you will do all that you've promised, all that you've purposed, that you will watch over us. And whether our life be long or short, you will care for us all our days and you will take us home to be with you. Thank you, Father. Speak to our hearts. Give us renewed confidence and childlike faith to expect things from you, to accept what you say and to enjoy you for Jesus' sake. Amen.